This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here with the 63rd episode of the We Spin Recipes podcast. We haven't covered legal topics on the show for a while and we are finally going to fix it on this very show. I'm excited to welcome as my guest today Sandra Petit, who is an entertainment lawyer from the Netherlands specializing in dance music copyright law. I dig his Twitter bio, which says lower by day, raver by night. Uh, besides the fact that Sander is an attorney, a columnist for DJ Mag, he also is a DJ himself. I first met Sander at this year's dance fair, where he hosted a session called Making and Breaking the Deal. He did it on both days of the conference. I was at both of the sessions, but could understand little as well. It was in Dutch. Um, it was obvious to me for that you guys and I would enjoy his legal advice if I had him on this podcast. You uh, tell me, but I believe I was 100% right about that. The amount of practical, useful information he shared in this 40 minutes conversation is impressive. If you listen to it in full, you will learn what questions to ask before signing a contract, how to build a team around you, the typical mistakes artists make in legal agreements, and so much more. If you're curious, while Sanders' work is focused mainly on the Netherlands and electronic music, pretty much all of the advice is applicable to any territory and any music genre. And uh, I do think for that some of it may be mostly relevant to you know somewhat established artists, but even if so, and if you are at the early stages of your career right now, you want to know what to expect when you grow your music brand bigger. So here we go. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you here. And uh, yeah, so stand up. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm very, uh, very well at this moment. There are a lot of interesting people I've met during the past few days and uh, work's going really well. A lot of our clients are currently at Miami uh, or mm-hmm. in Miami for the Miami Music Conference. And um, we're hearing all, all kinds of good news coming from there. So yeah, I'm happy in work and I'm happy for my clients at this moment. Very interesting and exciting indeed. Any any particular news from there? I mean, not anything private, obviously, but maybe from the you know panels or the conference parts of the events that excites you? Not yet? It is mostly the um, awards and uh, some of our clients dropping their new tracks or uh, hidden ideas. Uh-huh. The, we hear the ideas are received really well. So that's, that's really, really good to hear that, um, well, they're doing good. Completely random, but I just uh, read an article this morning about like these predictions that the like EDM is uh, decreasing in popularity worldwide, and it somehow felt that's ultra. Any <laughs> any feedback on that? What do you think about this scene overall? I mean, it's a global question, but still. What do I think about the EDM scene? Yeah. Well, it's it's evolving. I mean, it's really difficult and to talk about the EDM scene without having directly the EDM stigma, which is put on it by the the underground people. And I think the EDM scene is doing really good and really well. I mean, I love dance music for about 25 years and it has changed time over time. It used to be a really alternative group of people and they used to be the outcasts of the society. Nowadays, it is very popular and some people are starting to turn their backs on the popular EDM culture again, but the EDM culture is not only the thing we see at Ultra or 
Coachella or any actually any big festival in the world, sometimes people tend to forget that the EDM scene means everything, everything that comes from electronic dance music. So the underground, but also the commercial stuff. And if you look at that broad spectrum and you see what happens in cities like Berlin, what happens in Amsterdam in a creative point of view, uh, yeah, the EDM scene is going really, really well. And I'm very happy about it. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. I think there is lots of misunderstanding there, especially in the US and many people who dislike the commercial electronic dance music there. I see lots of people happy about the news, but there is, uh, I mean, yeah, the, it's, it's not just this commercial thing which is totally fine some people are not happy with uh, the sound that's okay but uh, electronic music scene is much much bigger than that (laughs) and yeah it is kind of a, a strange thing because on the one hand people are saying well we don't like the commercial stuff but if you look at it from a business perspective the commercial djs and clubs and brands which are uh, operating in the dance industry they are so professional and they are so good in getting their creativity turned into value. And they are actually the the people who are interested in the contracts, in the law, in the way business is conducted. And they make a really good thing out of it. If you like their music or not, that's, well, that's really personal. But if you look what they are doing as musicians and as creative people, it is really inspiring. I mean, (laughs) I'm a techno or tech house guy myself. And I don't really uh, listen to a lot of the commercial stuff myself, but if I look to it from a business uh, point of view, it is really great what those guys are doing. And on the other hand, you have the people that they say, well, we're underground and we don't care about the contracts, but they complain about the disbalance, which is also happening in the music industry. So, you know, the truth somewhere lying in the middle, but Mm -hmm. look at the good sides. That's well. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I fully agree. So even just speaking of, uh, of, of myself, I'm, I've been uh, in the drum and bass for, for many years, for, for 12 years. And uh, now I do think that uh, this whole movement and popularity of electronic music affects all underground genres. And I just like a couple of days back, I learned that Ram Records, a huge UK drum and bass label, which is obviously like an indie underground label, it was acquired by Sony. So it's like the first major label deal for, I mean, I'm not, I don't think it will affect the sound too well, probably of the label, but I think it's really good for this scene, which is extremely underpaid. And so it's good. So we definitely want to look into the positive. And plus, if you start turning your back on a kind of a musical genre, especially in the EDM scene, it evolves so fast. By the time you really create it, an opinion based on what you've hear, heard. Music, the style has changed six months later anyways. So it's not really easy to say they make bad stuff or it's too commercial because, you know, in half a year or a year, you, you don't even know what they're making because you turn it back on them. Keep listening. That's the love of music. Be inspired. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. And now something that I usually ask at the beginning of the conversation, but it was an interesting kind of uh, side note and, and the conversation here. So I still would like you to provide a bit of a background on yourself even for I did a quick intro already, but, but do you mind uh, sharing the projects you are working on and a bit on, on your past? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, as I mentioned, I started loving dance music for about 25 years ago when one of my babysitters gave me uh, a first house CD. And from that moment on, it's been dance music ever since. 
I've been uh, DJing a little bit during my high school time, but when I started studying law in Leiden, it really went fast. So I, I went DJing more and organizing parties. Then I wrote my thesis about the copyright law for DJs. And I started noticing that I really liked writing. So when I had the opportunity, I started writing for DJ Mac, the Netherlands. And that was the printed magazine as well as online. For the Dutch readers, if you, if you go to the website and type in my name, you'll find about 50 articles about, uh, well, actually interviews with DJs like Max Cooper and Gecko, but also some party reports and some of my articles from the printed magazine are also online. Because I was doing that, I got noticed by Dance Fair, and that's, that's where we met. And Norman Suarez, the owner of Dance Fair, asked me to share the knowledge because it's just, there's a big lack of knowledge in the industry about the legal issues going on. So I started sharing my knowledge on the Dance Fair TV platform. Uh, so I wrote some blogs for that about, they're also in English, by the way, about brands in the music industry and about DJs and booking agents and what was going on at that time. So from DJ Mag and Dance Fair, I'm also writing for uh, Driver 12, uh, which is a, a Dutch platform for music. I wrote for the, the Hague section and I will be writing for the Amsterdam section pretty soon. So besides the, the writing part and the researching part, I just really love the music part, which I'm really glad about because I can combine my greatest and deepest passion for uh, dance music with my work as an uh, entertainment industry lawyer right now. Mm -hmm. so yeah. That's what brought me to my current law firm. It's based in Amsterdam and it's called uh, the Vos and Partners Advocaten. Advocaat is the Dutch word for lawyer. And from that point on, well, actually things went really fast again. I have some nice opportunities, which I unfortunately cannot tell too much about because, well, it, the deals are not signed yet, but it might be a little bit of teaching for one of the, um, the musical educations in the Netherlands as well. So, yeah, Excellent. Yeah, so I'm linking uh, to your profiles, uh, social media profiles and the places you've been writing for in the show notes. And we'll... Keep an eye on your Twitter and stuff for the news. So hopefully you will reveal uh, <laughs> something publicly about your new developments. I will, um, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so I will ask you the question I was about to, to ask because it happened that I was at your session in Dance Fair preparing for some of my, like my own session and so on. And not that I was ignorant that I wasn't listening to you, but the fact that the session was in Dutch. I couldn't quite get all of it. I mean, I got the idea from the presentation and I examined it after, afterwards. But could you do a brief overview for our listeners and for me what you covered on that session just like a month back because the topic is extremely interesting to me and our listeners? Yeah, sure. Great. Yeah, the, uh, my presentation was in Dutch because they did it in English in the past, but there were only usually one or two uh, English-speaking persons in the, in the room. So that's why it wasn't Dutch right now. But at Dance Fair, I did a, a talk about controlling your contracts and about making and breaking the deal, which is very important in the dance music or well, in the music industry uh, in general. In most of the copyright laws we have, it is stated that you need to write down the things you want to settle if you transfer your copyright to somebody else. So that is the main reason why there are so many contracts. And at Dance Fair, I spoke about uh, making or breaking the deal and what you should watch. There are 
easily said three things you should always think about. And if you think about the three things, if you desire not to hire a lawyer to check your contracts, you, you, you'll do pretty fine. So the three most important things in contracts are the music, the money, and the team you have. So if you talk about the music, there are a couple of really important things to notice. And they come with if you're producing or playing music, which is, of course, copyright law. I will not really go deep into the copyright law because there might be little differences across Europe or uh, overseas. But in general, if you're creative and you made something nice, you can exploit it. And exploiting means making it public and copying it. And copying it can also be copying it in a changed form. So, for example, making a remix. A lot of the contracts, they're about giving a license or transferring the copyright law or neighboring law to another party like a publisher or a label. And a big difference in that is that, well, by giving a license, you keep the ownership of the intellectual property yourself. And for transferring, you're giving it away. And that is one of the disbalances we spoke about earlier in the music industry is that a lot of publishers and labels are actually saying, well, we need the ownership transferred to us. Otherwise, we cannot exploit your work. That's not really true. So that's an important thing to keep in mind uh, because it's really difficult to get back the ownership of the intellectual property you gave away. It's easier to stop a license agreement with a publisher, for example. And there is something that a lot of DJs and producers forget is that we have a thing called the neighboring, neighboring law, neighboring right, which is really close to the copyright. And in the Netherlands, that is for the performer and the one who's making, making the record, actually, who's in charge economically of the, the ma- making the master. So a lot of DJs actually write the song, but they also perform it, right? But they forget to administer themselves at the SENA or uh, an organization which is collecting the money for those kind of services or performances. But I'll get back to that one later. So it's important to remind and to remember that when it comes to music, there are a couple of laws and what you can actually do with the music. And the third point is, do you want to transfer it or do you want to give a license? Giving those licenses and transferring the money, of course, you can do it in exchange of money. But in order to really get that money, it's important to talk about the team, which is the second point I would like to uh, talk about. So there is a business side in the team and there is like a creative side in the team. I would like to talk about the business side first. And I think if you really want to make it into music, hire a lawyer. A lawyer is a gatekeeper for your contracts. It is the person who advises you on the deals with the other people. And lawyers, it's a bit different in the United States, but in the Netherlands, we do not uh, really get the percentages of your deal. So we're not rich, (laughs) basically. Now, if you get, um, we just usually work on an hourly fee or uh, a fixed fee, or sometimes a contract for multiple agreements, for example. But we check all the contracts you do, and we try to prevent that you get locked up. So lawyer is number one in your business team. The second one is, I think, is a manager, and a manager should be getting you gigs and doing your uh, business stuff. And I think it's also really important to have an accountant because a lot of artists, they don't really like the whole papers and numbers game behind it when it comes to paying taxes, but an accountant can really help you save money. And that is for the business team. So for the three people in your business team, a really important thing to realize that 
either they, they will save you money or prevent you to lose money or they get you money. If they don't do one of those three things, they should not be in your business team. So you should try to find a balance in between that. If we move to the creative part, there's of course your booker who gets you the gigs and who is uh, doing your agenda, for example. There's the publisher who is using your copyrights to go to labels, to get you sync deals and stuff. And the label who is making the records or the MP3s nowadays. With those three, you make deals, um, which I already said, because of the copyright system, you need to put it on paper. And that's also because you want to know what what the tasks are, what the payments are, and uh, when, for example, you can break the contract. A lawyer is really, really needed in that unless you really have a lot of knowledge about, about law yourself or you listen to this, of course. But yeah, so I, I think that is a quite important thing. It's not really that I say it because I'm a lawyer, but we see it happening so many times that the people who are actually making the contract, for example, a label, they hired lawyers to create the contract. So the contract, of course, is in their favor. And they will tell you, well, this is a standard contract and this is what we do with all DJs and producers. Uh, this is how the business works. I mean, you'll find it hard to negotiate, but always remember you can negotiate about the contract and just realize that all the contracts you get from the other party, they're in their favor because they had the contracts made. That's a really important thing to realize. And um, I hope we can be of any assistance in that process. Do you work with producers from outside of uh, the Netherlands? Yes, we do. There is a, sometimes a slight difference in the copyright law, but the contracts themselves do not really are not really different. Now, the the deals from when we get a contract from a lawyer from New York, it's not really different from what we have over here. There are some maybe they use some other words, and the copyright system behind it might be a little bit different. But if you're talking about a split in percentages, what you can and cannot do. It's basically all the same. In some occasions, it can be interesting to hire a local lawyer. But if you're talking about the big deals, we see so many contracts over here from all over the world. So, yeah, we can advise you. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. All right. And uh, the third point is actually, well, the most for most people, the most interesting point is the getting the money right. Uh, next to making the music, because you do want to have some payoff somewhere. I mean, you don't have to be as filthy rich but uh, some people would like to pay well if you go abroad that your tickets can be paid out of your touring costs and stuff and there's some some ways to optimize and also here think about three things there is the collective rights management and i do not know how it is in other countries but in the netherlands there was a lot of hassle about it and people complained about the system how it worked but It is a pretty good way, especially the, the Dutch Buma, Stemra and Sena, to get your money, which you deserve. And in the Netherlands, comparing to other European countries, things are going pretty, pretty well. I mean, of course, there are problems and sometimes they're paying too slow or the statements aren't really 100% clear. But in general, they're, they're doing pretty well. In other countries, that might be different. Because, but in here, some of the collective rights managements have actually... A, They're the only one who can do it because of the Dutch law. But you would be, well, kind of stealing from yourself if you're not, not joining them. And of course, you, you should join when, when you earn more than you pay for a membership, which is not too much, though. But I would advise everybody who is writing music 
making music or playing music to administer here and um, and collect your money. I have them collect your money actually. So I won't go too deep in the collective rights management, but just don't always believe what what they write in the news and just see it for yourself if it works out for you. Uh, once again, as I spoke about the, the the members in your team, they should get you money and they should deliver what they promise. And I think the the second point for people is the gigs, right? Playing makes most money now because the record sales drop pretty badly, I think. And when doing gigs, you have to think about three things. Do you want to have an agent or a promoter working for you? Sometimes it works, sometimes it, it does not work. For example, the Dutch DJ Benny Rodriguez or Rod Malmok, this techno alter ego, he's doing all the booking himself and he is uh, doing it in a pretty good way and it works out for him. So yeah, it is definitely possible to do it yourself. If you hire an agent, if it has an exponential value for your team and for yourself, be aware of the contract you're making. In the Dutch law, there are different regimes in, in the Dutch civil code. And you should watch out that you're not getting into a specific kind of agreement because it has a specific kind of way of ending the agreement. And that is something that agents not to tell when you are signing the deal. Sometimes you have to pay the money when you leave or you have to pay uh, some extra commission or a good, some goodwill kind of thing. Uh, you do not want that, but you do not realize it when you're signing the deal because it says, well, it's, a, it's an agency deal. And you think, well, it's an agent, so everything will be all right. But you should ask a lawyer before signing such an important contract. That's one. The second point is usually agents or promoter will get a percentage of what you get. Be really clear about a percentage over what and what percentage, right? So what, what I've seen in some recent cases is that the agent actually asked money from the promoter, about 20%. And about 20% from the uh, the DJ. So eventually the agent ends up getting more money, either more money than they should have, or the DJ is getting less money than they should have. Because for example, if you, uh, you're asking hundred something for a gig and you should pay 20% to the, to the agent, which is normally uh, 800, 200, 80 and 20 split, right? But if the agent goes to a promoter and also asks 20% over there, then, well, he gets paid for the services. Then you will have actually 120, which is the money that's coming in. And you should take 20% of that. So 80% of that amount of 120 should be for you as a DJ. If the agent's really clear about this, that he's doing this, then it's your choice. If not, it is a reason to uh, maybe part, but to be sure, have it checked. And the other thing for gigs is what you see with the big DJs, it is tax reasons. I think Carl Cox is uh, officially residing in Barbados. Dave Clark's residing in Amsterdam. Uh, I don't really know if Chester still has a, a home in a legal or tax point of view. So, but that's getting interesting for when you're getting a bigger DJ is, is your tax routing. And the third point of making money is of course, sponsoring endorsements and merchandise. And really important, don't, don't think that is only for the big guys. Don't think that Afrojack's got a G-Star deal, so I cannot do it. Try to find local companies, build a crowd around you. Uh, try if, if, if you can give them endorsements and otherwise be creative in that. And also sometimes with your business partners, you can work out something really well. I've seen managers uh, doing investments in merchandise for their agents, uh, for their artists and splitting all the profits. So sometimes 
think small, but think big. So talking about those three things in general for making a contract, really get clear who is doing something. So who's the, the party you're making a contract with and what should that person or company do? So example for a manager, really make clear what his tasks are. And also for you, what are your tasks? And also another important question. So who, what? And the third question is when, when should it happen? That's something, those three questions are easily overlooked at because they seem really simple, right? It's just who, what, and when. You could basically do it on a one, one sheet of paper. But for those three questions, if you ask yourself three more questions, like deeper ones, so what am I getting paid? Usually you'll, you'll say, well, 20% or 80% uh, off uh, 100. I'm just naming 100 as an easy countable number. But 100 over what? Is it uh, gross? Is it net? So that's, that could be the first question. And if it's gross and is it, if it's net, what kind of other cost can you deduct for it to become a net amount of money? And that's also easily overlooked. And for example, if they ask, well, the video cost can be deducted, but is that the video costs which you gave your approval to? Or are they only mentioning it? Or can they just give all the video costs or even if it's a fr at a friended company uh, which they have a deal with which amount will actually be deducted from your gross so really really focus on those three questions and one of the most important ones unfortunately but it's also one of the reasons why we are making contracts is what happens if you want to go apart you know if you start working together with someone You'll feel the love, right? You'll, you want to make music and you both have a plan and you believe in each other, but it happens so many times that people start fighting. And when that happens, you need to have a clear contract which says what happens when you want to go apart. For example, is there a um, certain amount of time which you need to send a notice to the other party if you want to end an agreement? Are there any sunset clauses? If you have um, a company together, is there a way to value the shares you have because it is really easy to value shares when you're friends and you say well let's let's do it this way or let's hire a professional who is doing it for you at the moment but if you're fighting you will not be easily making reasonable agreements again so that is about making the deal right do you want to hear a little bit about breaking the deal i haven't been in, even interrupting you because i'm all ears it's very interesting and very useful and very important stuff so exciting i actually would like to hear a bit on breaking the deal yeah sure because the the breaking the deal is usually when when the lawyers come in unfortunately we would like to get involved as i said as a number one one of the first persons in your team who's controlling the contracts regarding breaking the deal there are a couple of ways to end collaboration with someone and you should really be aware of the different regimes that are in, the, in most laws. So for example, if you just send an email and say, I want to end our agreement right now, probably you'll get into problems. You get into trouble because that is not the way the system works. And no matter how angry you are, really count it and think twice and get some advice on how to end your deal. A quite well-known international example is the case of Roger Sanchez and his, as I remember, his wife 
was having a fight with his former manager. And that was one of the reasons, but there was, there was of course more, but he just called her and said, we're done basically. And that call was really expensive because eventually he had to pay a lot of money because that is just not the way you end a deal. He was angry and I really somehow understand, but if you're a professional and you're making a lot of money and you're working with contracts, you should really try to keep your uh, temper and not just end it, but really think about the way of ending it. Check your contract first. If you don't get it, get someone who tells you or explains you how the system works and if you can actually exit, if you have enough reason to exit and which path you should follow to uh, do it in a way that you will not get into trouble. And of course, in a way that you will not have to pay any damages because that also happens a lot. The damages is just if you have a deal for about two years and you break it after one, depending on the way things went, you might have to pay for another year of the services or a part of that, for example, your manager or booker, because you just quit because you didn't feel right or something. That's just not how the system works. If your contract is in balance, though, and it has a clause which says, well, if things just don't work out, you can go, then it's okay. But most contracts don't have that clause because they are drafted by the persons who are giving it to you, which is a manager, a label, publisher, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not in their best benefit if you can leave anytime you want because they're investing time and money in you. So that's just something you should notice when ending a contract. Ending a contract is a serious thing even if you do not have a written contract. And I'll explain why. Because a contract is, well, if you write it on paper, it's just to prove something, right? If you have a WhatsApp message and text message, otherwise, or an email, it can be a contract too. Even if we talk about something or we're agreeing something in this Skype talk, it can be stipulated as an agreement or a contract. So the Roger Sanchez case was quite interesting in that part because there was no written contract. So don't really easily step over that little point of having a contract. Yeah, a contract can be basically anything. Do you mind a question here? So if it's uh, just a conversation, would you advise still uh, sending an email, summing up the points of uh, just uh, a call or one-on-one meeting? Or in case of, of a Skype call, for example, does it have to be recorded? So how should it be documented still? I prefer sending an email. You know, sometimes really people work on based on trust, which is a, a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. And you should always think what's in your best interest. But I prefer that after having a telephone call or uh, even if you speak somebody into a bar, uh, speak somebody uh, at a bar or in a club and you say, well, let's do it, let's work together. Send an email next day. Uh, great talking to you. I would love to work together based on what we have discussed yesterday, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, blah, 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 blah. So do it in a friendly way. But yeah, if you ever need to fall back, uh, the agreement you, you make or the things you're going to do together, it is pretty, pretty it comes in handy when you have it uh, in a written form. Yes. Yes. Great advice here. So definitely something that anyone can apply. Because there are still some cases, well, with smaller deals and so on, when there are no signed agreements, although, of course, it's obviously highly recommended to have a proper contract drafted or checked if you sign something. So, yeah, I mean, great advice here. And uh, I like how it's applicable to 
different territories, in fact, and different yes. genres even. So we, so we, it, for those listening to us who are not electronic music producers, it's all pretty much <laughs> the same stuff for all genres, correct? Yeah, yeah. So you, you wouldn't yeah, yes. disagree with that point? It definitely is. There are not many differences in the in the genres regarding regarding this issue. If you're talking about gigs or working together with somebody who's doing your social media or building your website, but you just need to realize that when it comes to copyright and you want to transfer it or ex- give an exclusive license, you need to write it down. Otherwise, it's just not valid. So what I've seen happening was a, a DJ and he had a, a website made for him. And they stopped working and he tried to alter the website, but the one who built the website could actually stop that because the copyright was not transferred from the builder to the DJ. So yes, you, you, you can make verbal agreements, but if it comes to copyright law or you need to write it down and I think it can never hurt to send a friendly email like this and this is what the deal was, right? Excellent advice here. So my question to you here is uh, where can artists learn more about these to just get a better understanding of the copyright law and some other legal aspects of the music industry. So uh, maybe some of the of your articles or additional resources or even books that you would recommend and I would link to in the show notes. Yes, definitely. Well, for, for the Dutch listeners, there is uh, my, my Facebook page and Twitter page called uh, The Dance Advocate, which means The Dance Lawyer, which I might be posting some English articles on it as well. The dancefair.tv blog and forum, what I mentioned earlier, has some interesting articles. But if you really, really want to dive into it, there are some really good books I would advise. For the Dutch listeners, that is Muziek en Recht, which is written by uh, Margriet Koudoder, amongst others. But for the international readers uh, and listeners, check out Donald Passman's book. It's called All You Need to Know About the Music Business, and it's currently the ninth edition. Donald is a really, a really well-known entertainment industry lawyer, and there is a lot of up-to-date information about the new business models, including the music streaming services. Uh, he's writing about, well, almost the latest developments in digital rights, and there's some updated numbers and statistics for the traditional industry in it. He is writing in a really funny way. I really enjoyed reading the book really went through it pretty fast and you know he's making jokes it, it's not the dusty old guy writing about uh, what you shoot or you shouldn't though not waving around with an angry finger but he's funny he's writing a good th- uh, good stuff and if you check out the reviews they're from katie perry rick rubin randy jackson jermaine dupree tom waits and they really all like his book as well so yeah definitely check that one out Excellent. Yeah, I've got uh, an early edition of the book. I really like his style. And uh, I've heard some indie musicians criticizing uh, the book as not uh, fully applicable, but actually there is just a tone of stuff that is uh, very important and useful. So it it may be like top level kind of stuff uh, sometimes, but it's, yeah, it's really good. And I agree on that point. There is stuff in it for the superstars. Mm-hmm. But yeah. If you know what kind of deals they can make, you can start working your way towards it. And for example, if you make as a small producer, you make a deal with a big company, it will be, well, it will be hard to meet the things that that Donald's writing about. But if you're a small producer and you're going to have a deal with a small firm or a small publisher, 
it is pretty easy to do those kind of things because you just have to adjust the numbers, but the systems work the same. You know, so if you're getting my comparison between the superstars with the big labels, it can work in the same way if you adjust the numbers to a small producer and a small label. So yeah, it might not cover everything, but it gives you a pretty good idea of what's happening in the music industry. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thanks for the recommendation. Once again, the links are in the show notes. So for the listener. And um, yeah, so I mean, it's been awesome. I just realized that we've been 40 minutes in the conversation already. It, it felt like five minutes. It's really packed with advice, but it was very interesting to listen to you. I suggest to wrap it up, although I would like to talk to you for a few more hours. Any closing thoughts or advice, maybe along the lines of what you've mentioned to the artists listening to us? It is kind of a cliche, but really, really believe in yourself and you can see it in somebody's eyes when he is or she is, because really believing in yourself and going for your career really makes a difference. If you decide to do so, also get serious about it. You are an artist, but you're also a company if you want to sell your your music and if you want to give value to economical value to your creations. Do not sign anything if you do not know what it actually says. Think twice, negotiate, and uh, remember that lawyers really would like to advise you and prevent you getting into trouble. For me, that is because that helps the music industry getting even better, and I just love music. Brilliant. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks to Santa and you, the listener. I hope you liked the insights. Don't forget to check out the show notes at wispin.co forward slash WSR63 and leave your questions and comments on SoundCloud or on Twitter. You can find Sanders Twitter handle in the show notes as well. And um, on an um, unrelated note, if you like the, the show um, and I've been doing it for, I don't know, actually, I need to check, but for a couple of years uh, now, I guess. So it's... Uh, Uh, 63rd episode now uh, and um, I do my best to deliver you some interesting information on helping you grow your music brand so if you like the advice I will greatly appreciate you doing something for us Uh, there is uh, a nice interactive page we've set up located at getacard.wispin.co where you can learn how to affect the visibility of this podcast on iTunes by rating it. It will take you no more than a couple of minutes, but it's a huge, huge help for us. So your rating and review makes uh, the podcast more visible uh, on on iTunes, so more musicians can discover it. This is very important for me. And uh, what's even cooler for you, we want to send you a nice postcard. We will do it for you. Uh, at no cost, just uh, go to that same same page, getacard.wispin.co. Uh, the link is also in the show notes, and uh, uh, fill out the form. Just your at your address, uh, and and we'll send you a nice uh, postcard we designed. So yeah, that's you know pretty cool. So um, thank you for being the listener, and see you next week. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin 12.